Hey, what's up, everybody? This is your girl, Shannon, at Can We Talk Sports. I am here with my host, Kawashika. And Karen. What's up? What's up? Listen, Kawashika uh, had a little live party last night on uh, <laughs> Facebook. Did she? And first of all, I want to say congratulations to my girl for making director. What? <laughs> oh, my God. So they had a live part. I was supposed to be on y'all, but I'm telling you, I no, we'll stay with just anyway. So, okay. Y'all was, y'all was kicking it. Yeah. Gwendolyn had me, bro. Gwendolyn for real was dancing. Like, y'all was live. In effect, how was it? It was, you know, that was our actual first um, tour, virtual tour, uh, for Dallas. So me and my sister just basically had to represent for us. Dallas has to come on, come on with it, with the health and wellness. So I was excited. I was grateful to be on the platform. I mean, we're doing big things guys. And it's like, it's time to show up, you know? Show up and, and so I'm out. just, yeah, you remember I told you, you know, been dealing with getting out of my comfort zone. And so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to tell you this, now, can we talk shit? That's hard. Wait, wait, let can me we... stop. That's hard to believe you get out your comfort zone, right? Okay, because see, Kawasaka, when we was at, what did we go, Karen, for her birthday? Um, Harris House of Heroes. Kawasaka don't even play the nut role. Listen, y'all, Kawasaka was cute for her birthday, right? And she was like... Just moving and growing. So you tell me. It took me a while though, didn't it? But Miss Karen took me a while, didn't it? It took me a while to, because I haven't been in that environment in a while. And it took me a while to get, I guess, comfortable. 
And feel so yourself. once I got comfortable, <laughs> yeah, I started feeling myself. Just, and I was for like, real. Oh my God. She started really <laughs> feeling herself, right? Look at that. <laughs> she was, oh my back. God. Oh, uh, wait, she looked back like bam. I said, Oh, Lord, oh, this is gonna be a long Where night. I've been like, I've been gone, like, I didn't even realize how fine I was. Like, oh, wow, wow. That's oh, crazy. Lord. But, no, but no, uh, thank y'all so much. I, like, seriously, like, getting in front of people just always been a challenge for me, even though it don't seem like it, right? But this, right. and I want to say, I give honor to Miss Karen and you, Miss Shannon, because this platform is is bringing it out every time i yeah. show up every time mm-hmm. i show up and when i even first came on here i was couldn't talk yeah i mean it's a big thing and like i said we're running you know with total life changes we want to help so many people so many people but i'm looking for people that want to run like literally want to build their legacy so we doing this thing. My sister now, you think I'm nervous. That baby is, is nervous. So she's quiet. We, yeah, quiet. I remember when it was on the I'm, video. She's pretty yeah, quiet. She, she's the quiet, yes. Yeah, she's both. the quiet storm. But we all yeah. know. I'm the last storm. No way. <laughs> but we all know over here, Karen ain't nothing quiet about her. I'm shy. Yeah. Oh, my gosh, Karen. Why you on this live feed line? I'm shy. Karen will pull. She will pull out the pom poms. She when she when that camera come on and she interviewing. Listen, we are live at the NFL game, and I'm on the sideline. I don't know why you sitting in line, Karen. And she will turn that camera on in a minute. So ain't that shy about her. I'll be shaking in my boots. I'll be like, God, please help me. God, if you don't help me, God, I don't know what I'm, God, you got to help me. And he he he, he shows out. He he shows up. He allows me to just be who, say, and just I be mean, you. I mean, you, 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 you come with it. I tell you what, pom-poms, helmets, bells, cow bells. I'll be like, oh my Lord. I'll be cracking. It'd be fun, y'all. Our, our, I cannot wait till we get back out there and start doing, you know, on know. location yeah. shows. And, we have fun. Yeah. And that, yeah. And here's the thing. We got to have fun with what we love to do. That's right. See, I can't do anything without having fun. I realize that, you know, it's a time to be serious. Don't get me wrong. Yeah. It, yeah. It's a time to do this. It's a time. But if you can have fun and have passion on what you do, you know, when you're doing it, oh, man, it's just like, it's it's easy. But when it's just like, you got to sit up straight and you got to just, you got to be so professional that you can't laugh and right. Oh, no, this is a time, different time. You gotta have fun. You gotta enjoy life. It's a place. Yeah. That's why it's important yeah, to it's do what you're passionate well. about doing, right? Yeah. Because when you're passionate, right. it's not it's not like it's work. You just love what you do. You could do it all day there long. You, you know what I'm saying? So when you're there passionate, you it's like right. you could sit up to two, three in the morning right. and do the job. I know right. Karen. Karen is that one that sit up to two, three in the morning and be texting. I had I no idea. Too. Oh, you sit up to two? Okay, well, I do. <laughs> sometimes y'all <laughs> I do so okay well I do sometimes but you know you, listen when when you get to dealing with these kids you get tired real easy you be like mm-hmm. I'm going to bed like for real but yeah, yeah when it's a passion right. it doesn't you know that's the thing that I tell my sons it's like 
when this is what you love to do, then right. then there's nothing will stop you. Yeah. You know, you will grind to no end. I just actually got to watching a um on Netflix about a um a man in Alaska who built a cabin and he he loved um the wilderness, right? So he built it in like in this in the mountains. Do you know this guy built it with his hands by himself? Wow. Three stories. Wow. He lived out there. He walked. He, he It took him 15 days to the location where he was going, right? And then he built the, he, he found the location. He goes, this is where I'm going to put my cabin. Met his wife out there. And they got married. And it was just him and her. It was what he loved to do. And he, it didn't matter how long it took. He was, it was just him and her. And they built this cabin. It's in Alaska. It's on Netflix. It's a powerful story. And it took them nine years, but they enjoyed life and it made history. So wow. when it's something you love to do, it, it doesn't right. matter how long it takes. Yeah. It doesn't matter. It is just, you know, so. Yeah. Yeah. But, you know, in the beginning, you don't understand that. You don't understand that it's okay that time. You, you, you know, for me, I was just like was rushing to get it done, not realizing it was a love that was being pulled out of me. And um, one day I'm going to reap the, ben the benefit. You're going to reap the benefit. And yeah. that, but see, that's the thing with him. So they're reaping the, they're reaping the benefits of it because now they, they did a, a reality show. They passed it on to the next couple, right? Because he's older, she's older. And they want to give it to someone who will continue the legacy, right? But look at the history. Look at his lifestyle. I mean, when you look at him and her, I mean, their bond, the the stories that comes out of there. It's just so. Even with you, Karen, the 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 legacy will be massive. You're gonna reap. You know what I'm saying? You're gonna Karasika. You're gonna reap. You're grinding. You know, it's just when you love what you do, just get ready to eat from your harvest because you have to reap it. I mean, yeah. it's just it has to. So it's law. Because mm, I'm going, I'm sure going to enjoy mine off of these kids because I'm getting 10% of all endorsement deals, clothing deals, you name it, signing bonuses. Oh, I'm going to enjoy my harvest. Now, let me stop y'all. So, anyway, uh, we have a fantastic show. So, we was in the green room. Okay, my mouth was floored because I can't wait to bring on my guest, Coach D, and then our other guest, um, Coach Rod. I'm going to call him Coach Rod. Man, messed up, right? I'm sitting in the green room like, oh, this yeah. is going to be good. This is yeah. this. We got a soccer coach, a basketball coach. She coached yoga. I'm telling you, she's all she's into the mental health of things, which I'm so glad about because that's what we talk about all the time. So I, I can't wait to ask her questions dealing with mental um, health for, with athletes. And then we're going to get over to Coach Rod. So we will be right back after this with our guest, Coach D. Hey, Coach D, how are you? Many blessings. I'm blessed. I'm grateful. Chilling. Hey. Oh this is going to be a good show. So 
All right, Karen, I want you to come off with the first question because, see, I, you know, I'm always the one coming with the first question. Karen didn't know I was going to put her on the spot like that. Well, my um, my question is going to come when we play the video. I want to play the video that we okay. have for uh, Coach D. So hit it, Brian. <laughs> Say hit it, Brian. Oh. something that you said in there. You said basketball saved my life. Tell yeah, us about that. Yeah. Go ahead yeah. and tell us about it. So um, basketball saved my life. So I've had three knee surgeries on this knee here uh, between uh, 17 and 26. And uh, beforehand, uh, all I did when I was upset was go to the park. Um, my mother used to say, Neat, just breathe. And at that time, uh, I didn't know what she was really telling me. And so uh, my mother passed when I was 22 and my father when I was 19 turning 20. And at that time, um, I couldn't play ball. Uh, I was, you know, back and forth from the hospital. I was working, I was doing other things to, to survive. Um, and so basketball was taken away as, as I said in the video. Um, so I started coaching. Um, and you know, I'm 19, I'm in the hood. I'm like, I'm coach D. Um, and it was something to keep me out the street. Um, because I was the kids that I was serving, right. Um, attitude is a reflection of leadership and they, my kids were a reflection of me. You know, we were all latchkey kids to a, to a degree. And so, you know, basketball was my refuge when I was younger, when it was taken away, I found a way to still stick with it, uh, as a coach. Um, but then as I got older, I recognized that 
even I created stories around the game that just wasn't healthy for me. And when I got back to the root of the game, I think about those late nights in East New York, Brooklyn, uh, where I was upset about any numerous of things and I would be shooting 50 shots or free throws or a trick shot that I gotta get. I can't leave the park until I get it. Uh, basketball put me in such uh, a space of flow. Uh, so much so that I uh, did a paper, a research paper on uh, the, <laughs> the free throw being like meditation. Uh, and so meditation um, is the practice of yoga of the mind. Uh, you know, we wanna unify, we want to be in stillness and pain and pleasure. Um, and so I was able to find that in basketball, um, in the free throw. Um, and so I just took those qualities and continued to use them uh, in my life. Wow. Wow. Go ahead, Karen. So you you coach, you start coaching at age around 19. So you was coaching boys, girls. So uh, my, my very, very first coaching job, shout out to Jeffrey Tillman uh, on the Upper East Side. Uh, I was a manager uh, for my, so I was a youth counselor. Uh, I've been in youth development since my surgery. So my surgery, I was 17. So I've been in youth development since then. And uh, I worked like as a counselor. And so those girls that I worked with, they were on a basketball team. <laughs> so mm -hmm. he was like, yo, D, come help me. I can't deal with them. So that was my first uh, taste, if you will. I got like bit. I was like, oh, this is cute. This is cute. <laughs> um, <laughs> and so I did that for about a year and a half. Uh, and then I was like, I'm on my own team. Mm -mm. But I was like, I want to coach boys. Like, mm -hmm. I recognized very early on that girls wanted to build relationships and they wanted assurance. And I, at that time, I didn't really like, I, it was cool, but I was like, I want to get loud. I want to get aggressive. Um, <laughs> so I found me a bunch of rambunctious boys, uh, again, reflection of me um, and how I wanted to express myself. Um, and then I created the Get em Boys. Uh, mm -hmm. after that. So I did that for about eight years. Uh, and then I recognized that um, what happens a lot in AAU basketball, I'll just say it, frankly, coaches are looking for a way out too. And mm -hmm. I recognized that I was becoming the coach that I despised. Um, uh -huh. I was teaching and growing my boys to as far as I had reached. Mm. And so I was like, hmm, I'm sending them to college, but I didn't finish. <laughs> wow. <laughs> I'm preaching to them, get out the hood, but I live up the block. You know, so I took a step back. I took a seat back. Um, I felt like I had failed. Uh, you know, I had an undefeated season. I had my boys in like five or six tournaments. I had another team. I still wasn't making any money, though. I was still saving off homelessness. And uh, I had a championship year. I'm coaching at different camps. I'm feeling myself. We get to the championship game and lose. That was the only game I lost that year in 2013. Mm. And so after that, I said, something's got to change. So then I went and I became an assistant. I was like, the only way to, to, to grow is to learn and put yourself in a challenge. Uh, so I went from you know black and brown boys in the hood, in my neighborhood, to uh, Upper West Side. I went to Columbia Grammar Preparatory School, where I was with uh, predominantly Jewish people. Uh, mm -hmm. and a predominantly white school uh, where I was now an assistant. <laughs> uh, and so uh, after that, I actually just finished my five year tour there. Um, and so now I continue to train, uh, but my, my real goal with uh, basketball is to pursue bringing strategies, mental wellness strategies to coaches first and foremost, and then athletes. 
Okay, so you, your, your passion is for coaches. So what is it that you think you can bring to coaches that will help with the mental illness part? I mean, well, the, the athlete project um, is a project that I created for myself and it was about self-awareness. Um, mm. I believe that self-awareness is the foremost key uh, that is needed to maintain mental health. And so I believe it starts with us as coaches. Children are but a reflection of what we teach them and what we show them. And what we teach them is in part by how we behave. And so uh, on an energetic level, um, I believe that coaches have more of a responsibility to mental well-being as a visible representation, a visible work of representation uh, than we do as just being the facilitators or the the guidance guiding instruction mm. behind mental wellness. Mm. So you were saying that um, you was telling the kids to go to college, but you didn't go to college. So you think as coaches, they should be the one that set the pay, the example. They should have already accomplished those things before they can tell a, a kid to go and do it. Um, not necessarily so black and white. Um, I had actually attended four schools. Um, as I said, I am the children that I serve, right? And so at that time when I was coaching, um, I didn't have, my parents had already been deceased. Uh, both my parents had, uh, had transitioned by the time I was 22. So I was mm -hmm. in my second year and in my second school at that time. Mm -hmm. uh, so my first thing in college, I was uh, away in 2005. I came back, my mother was sick. I mm -hmm. left again, I came back, my father died. I tried to leave again. I said, I ain't going nowhere. My <laughs> grandfather died. I said, you know what? F college. I'm going to be like Jay-Z and I'm going to make it rich. <laughs> and, wow. and then my mother died. And so I was like, I got to go back. Um, wow. But my boys kept me alive. If I did not coach, I wouldn't um, be here today. Mm -hmm. I do believe that, again, energetically being a reflection of what we teach, because what we teach is more about what we do. We are humans. Humans are creatures of habit. So I could go tell a kid all day, you know, get good grades, get good grades, get good grades. Um, but if I am not in a space where I am exuding those same behaviors or the same quality of what that is, which is discipline, mm -hmm. which is attentiveness, mm -hmm. which is intention, mm -hmm. then I can shout, good, get good grades all day. So it's not so simple as I need to get a degree because I'm telling them to get a degree. What I, my, my team certified, as you see here, get them boys because I wanted them to know that I, I want you to know you can get anything you want out of life. Mm. And so what I recognized that I was no longer getting what I wanted out of life. That's why I had to stop teaching them. And so as mm. coaches, my belief is that what we are teaching is less about the things we're saying, but more about energetically what we're exuding and spiritually and inherently what we're reflecting as human beings. So we're all coaches. We're all coaches. I think coaches, I like um, have a really strong inherent responsibility to be representations of influence. Um, and I think that narrative needs to change. I think we just need to be representations of self-awareness. So, so I was going to say this. So what I like about you is the fact that you dealt with the mental side of things because you have coaches that just deal with the ability, right? They, it's, you know, they see the athlete and, and their ability and, but you, hit this thing head on mentally because of what you went through you recognized were you able to recognize a lot of things that these athletes were going through mentally because of your experience and and, and is that why you hit it so hard that way 
Definitely, definitely. Like I said, I I am those kids I coach. Um, and I I would go. In all honesty, I'm gonna keep it a buck with you. I'm keep it straight buck, straight buck. <laughs> I went to three conferences in one year. Now I'm five two. I add a little extra inch in there. Real talk, real talk. And I went around all these six five coaches. They were all arrogant. Oh. And I, I've been in a lot of places, let me tell you, Syracuse, Providence, uh, Stanford, um, ugh, LIU, Barclays Center, USA Basketball, Nets, Knicks. It continues to go on and on. And there were some great people there. But what I found in the world of sports is this idealism and this professionalism that carries a result-oriented attitude. So now we have judgment, we have bias, we have privilege, we have access. Come on with that. And so when we have those things, we also have the thread and the fabric of America. <laughs> right? And so when we talk about the athlete, I'm talking about the human. That's mm -hmm. right. Because you you have to, the problem is we have to separate them because they're 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 taught they're an athlete. And it's like, but that's not who, that's what you, you play the sport. That's what you do, but that's not who you are. So you find athletes, they don't know who they are. All they know is I'm an athlete. This is a sport I play. This is me to that's the it. point that they don't even know their identity, that they're more than an athlete. And so the sports seem to cultivate that. And so when you hit situations like COVID, you have a lot of athletes are going, what do I do with my life? I don't even right. know who I am. Okay, what if they never come back? What am I going to do? Where am I going right. to go? And now it's crazy. You have coaches doing it, but they won't admit it. Hmm. Right? They won't admit it. You got them coaches at home going, if they don't come back, what am Girl. I going to do? They don't yeah. even know what they're going to do with their life yeah. because that's it. They don't have a plan B. They don't, yeah. have, a, they don't even have a plan C. It's like, because yeah. we asked the coach, what would you do yeah, if you can't. If this situation happens and you won't be able to come back and coach, he just sat there like, "Wait, I don't, I don't, right. I, I don't want to end the show like this." He's like, "I don't want to end the show like this." But they don't, they, they don't, don't even know who they are. So no, you're absolutely right. No, 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 you're absolutely right. And I'm, I mean, you saw me over here, Vogue, and I was giving y'all all the life, um, because I'm gonna say two things. Number one, grief. I so I host a tap talk series on my IG every Monday. And um, I talked to different coaches about different things, different perspectives. And one coach that I was talking to, he was saying, keep your mind where your feet are. And I was like, oh, I'm gonna take that. That's cute. And <laughs> I was asking him, I said, so what's, what's, what's basketball after this, right? I hosted a survey. Why do you play? Because I really wanted to get underneath the quality of basketball and see how we could replicate that in other activities. Mm -hmm. And so he was like, I believe in humanity. We're gonna come back from this, and I'm like, yeah, I I, I agree. Right. If it don't, <laughs> who do we? What get you to gonna be? do? Right. <laughs> who right. do we get to be? Um. And so, uh, I think it is again back to visible representation of coaches making sure that they are uh, a visible representation of wellness. Grieve in front of your kids. Grieve That's and be right. vulnerable. Like, Look, y'all, I don't know what we're going to do. I'm tired. I'm sad. Y'all got Come ideas. On. Um, because they need to see that. So they, they can also have that same process. Um, second thing, triple C. Uh, so the athlete project is strategies, uh, mental, mental health strategies for coaches and athletes. 
Um, I always say coaches first because I believe it starts with us. Um, and so with, within the Athlete Project, uh, Tap Talks is a webinar where I discuss these different strategies. One strategy is triple C. So triple C is changes, choices, excuse me, choices, changes, commitments. Um, I believe that uh, identity, right? It has so many sectors and so many times, like I could ask you women, what was your identity at 20? I'm pretty sure it was different at 30. I'm pretty sure it was different at 15. You know, um, I know for me, my identity at seven is a lot different than it was at 17. <laughs> so, um, I, you know, I believe that we every day, however, are met with choices that will lead to changes that will make us accountable for our commitments. Um, and so uh, I did an article on LinkedIn. It was actually my first article. I do a lot of writing. I just don't put it out. I'm working on it, I promise, um, about identity shift because I went through this 10 years ago. Mm -hmm. I was 16 years old. I had a doctor tell me I'd never play basketball again. And then 10 years later, I had knee surgery. And it wasn't until, shout out to ladies who, who uh, it wasn't until an 11 year span that I was, uh, excuse me, 16 year span that I was actually able to get on the court in a jersey with a referee again. Wow. So I had to go without basketball <laughs> like, and still find ways to be a part of the game and love the game. And I had to shift my identity. Mm. So the name of the article is Identity Shift. Uh, after my mom passed, I didn't know who I was. After my dad passed, I was like, oh my God, who, death is who I am. I'm going to die at 50. So let me just get crazy now. Um, and, you know, I really, really had to learn at 16 and then again at 26 because I was coaching. I couldn't coach anymore. Mm -hmm. I had two knee surgeries back to back within a span of seven months. And so I had to give my team to some, like my babies that they had. So there, there goes basketball again, like, right. <laughs> you know, uh, it's, you know, you just watch it. <laughs> you do. And so, you know, I, 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 you know, always thought about that triple C, triple C. It started out with my boys, uh, confidence, uh, commitment and competency. I want y'all confident. I want y'all committed and I want y'all competent. Um, and I thought about that. I was like, I'm giving out good jewels. How can I turn that in? And, you know, choices, changes, commitments came up. So th those are the two things that I would say that, you know, coaches need to do. Coaches need to grieve and coaches firstly need to show vulnerably um, that, you know, they're aware of their choices. And, you know, there's some changes that's going to follow and really be accountable for their daily commitments. I, I'd like to say when and kind of touch on what you're talking about identity. I always say it's something like, you know, we take on a we. We wear so many different masks that we don't even know what our face look like anymore, right? So society say this, and then you'll put that mask on. Well, the coach said, I got to do this, and then you'll put that mask on. And then so you've got all these different masks to where you don't even know who you are. If we teach these student athletes to take off those masks, don't put on other people's masks. Stay mm -hmm. true to who you are, right? Because like you said, you go through so many different identity changes. You have athletes who... That, you know, they got to be the best. They're told, you know, you have the underdogs and you have the upper dogs and you have all these different things that they don't even really know who they are. So when they hit a traumatic situation, because I have a son who had four knee surgeries, he played football and he can't play football no more. So he's transitioning to baseball. But during that time, it was like, who am I? I mean, it's like, man, mom, I, I don't know what I'm going to do. So we had to walk through that process. But like I said, in this situation now, you have athletes, they don't know who they are. And like I said, coaches 
don't even know who they are because they never took off the mask. Right. But in I this mean, situation, well, the mask was forced to be taken off. Does that make sense? This right, situation right. No, took exactly. all kind of mask off. It exactly. exposed everything. Exactly. No, uh, Erica Badu, are you, do you ladies listen to her? Mm-hmm. She had a versus against Jill Scott the other day. And um, mm-hmm. just before that, she was saying, and I had actually posted it on one of my um, coach's diaries posts, that we have to go in. You know, and so again, my my advice to athletes is the same to coaches. It's the same to anybody. It is to grieve, grieve. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, grief right. is not just about it's not just about death. Grief, grief is the process in which we feel are affected by loss or separation. Mm-hmm. And so our identity is a there's a separation there. There's a right. loss there. And so athletes and coaches grieve so that way you can get to the point where you can see how else the same quality can be fulfilled. Yeah. Right. Because then if the game never comes back, you're still whole. That's right. That's right. And so when we talk about who we are as people, yeah, we are basketball players. We are coaches. We, we do this. Yes. (laughs) But why? And how Mm. do you have that in other spaces? right? Right. I coached because it makes me feel of purpose. I mm. coach because it fulfills my need for self-actualization. Mm. Where can I also feel self-actualized, right? Like right. really getting to the root of the feeling and right. the need for the identity. That's and so right. you know, that's my advice when we talk about mental hygiene, we're talking about a system to maintain the condition of mental wellness. When we talk in mental health, we're talking a condition of that. And so that can be an illness or a disorder. But hygiene, right. this is what I say in my classes. Does everyone brush their teeth? Like, yeah, I brushed my teeth this morning. <laughs> Did you gargle? Oh, I gargle. <laughs> then some hands go down. And then I'm like, oh, who did that for their brain? And then people be like, what is your hygiene system? That's good. That's good. Wow. This is this has been really good, Coach D. Look, we gotta have her back by herself. Yeah, because yeah. there's so much there. Yeah. We haven't even hit the surface yeah. of it. I mean, yeah. yeah, we 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 gotta have you back by yourself. So I, I want to thank you for coming to the show. This has been really good. Yeah. Um, Tell people I, how they how they can get in touch with you yeah. and what you got going on. Bless, bless. So yes, you can uh, get in touch with me, www.getfitflyright.com. All my social media handles are at getfitflyright. Also for coaches, parents alike, I'm hosting another Tap Talk webinar, June 8th to the 15th, where I'll be going over mental health basics, uh, performance anxiety, yours and mine, uh, as Mm -hmm. well as some strategies and some systems like CCC, uh, as well as connection over competition. I'll be going in depth of what that is. I like that connection over competition. Oh, right. Yeah, that's going to be good. So anyway, thanks again, Coach D, for coming to the show. We are. This was good. So we will be right back after this because Big Mama is coming to the show. All right, Big
Hey, ladies, am I still good? Hey, big mama, what's going on? Oh, gosh, it's been a rough week. It's been a rough week, but you know, I'm doing what I do. I'm going to make it happen. Gonna make it How happen. are you, ladies? We are doing good. Good, good. good. So I got a couple of topics. Y'all going to hang in there with me? or You already know that. Let me do uh, solo bolo. You solo bolo. <laughs> so we'll, uh, you going to try that? I don't know. Sometimes when I go solo, things happen to my connection. But um, uh, good evening, everybody. Uh, this is Big Mama. I just have a few things to say tonight. Uh, there's a lot going on in the world, so um, try to make it light, make it brief. Uh, Dak, July 15th. I hear that's the day that you got to decide what you're going to do. You're going to take the money and run. You're going to make Jerry Annie up and give you a better offer. Uh, but whatever you decide to do, you be prayerful because July 15th is right around the corner. What you got, about 45 days to make a decision? Ah, they, they want you in Dallas, they say. They, they, they love you in Dallas, they say. You know, I ain't got no dog in that hunt. Who that, baby? Who that? <laughs> but anyway, uh, Dag, we want you to, I want you to get your money. Uh, if Jerry don't want to give you your money, you know, you ain't got to sit around and, you know, beg nobody to do nothing. I'm sure there's some folk out there that want to talk to you. Cam, let me tell you something. <laughs> to my understanding, Bill Belichick called you. Didn't quite work out. How about you call Bill again? Because I need you to have a home very, very, very soon. Uh, I don't want you to be outdoors come uh, the season, whatever's going to happen in this this season that's coming up. Uh, but if you can't go to Bill's house and if Bill don't let you come to his house, uh, it ain't going to be looking for good for you at nobody's house. So um, I don't know. Bill might let you get, give you a chance to do what you need to do. But talk to the man. Talk like he got some sense. Put on some clothes. Put on some long pants. How about that? But uh, go on and do what you do. I, I, I want you somewhere. Um, I'll watch you. It doesn't matter where you land. I, I, I'll still be right there to support you, Cam. We, we can do it together. Uh, my last thing, Roger Goodell. Hmm. Sit down. Hush your mouth. Be quiet. Let, let me make this real quick disclaimer. So the views of Big Mama are not the views of Can We Talk Sports. <laughs> uh, Big Mama has her own thought process. But Roger Goodell, you had the audacity to give your condolences to the George Floyd family. Now, when Colin wanted to do this in a very quiet manner, you blackballed him, got him out of the NFL, won't even let him back in the door. Yeah, you pulled some little shady deal that you was attempting to make it look good that you wanted him to come back. But we, we know what that was about. We know that ploy. But now all of a sudden, because of this incident, you deem it to be an urgent matter that we need to handle. But when he was kneeling, Sandra Bland, you, you didn't deem that to be urgent. And so after you've done all that you could do to him, here you go. And you want to make a bold statement on the behalf of the NFL. The same NFL that wouldn't allow Colin to do it in a quiet manner. 
now we got all this uproar going on. Things are happening. I read a quote, though, that uh, Martin Luther King says, uh, a riot is the language of the unheard. So now that you have half of America that has not has been unheard, now we're dealing with the aftermath. So it's, you know, it's just a scab on the wound that has been exposed again. But Roger Goodell, I don't want you to ever say anything about this matter until you can come out publicly and apologize to Colin Kaepernick. So shout out to the good new. Uh, to my understanding, those that have gone to jail, he's trying to make sure that he handles their bail and uh, whatever finances they need to do in Minneapolis from their rioting or their peaceful, their protesting. Um, but I don't want to hear another word from you about it. Uh, you had your chance. And so your silence and your actions were deafening. So that's all Big Mama has to say. That's all that's going on in my world. All right, Big Mama. Big Mama, where you going? Where she go? She playing music. Big Mama ready to dance. <laughs> I, th I thought that's what she was praying, playing. Yeah. I don't know. It didn't come out good, but Marvin say, what's going on? There's too many of us dying. Yeah. So, you know, we got to bring some love. Something has to give. Yeah. Uh, I heard the coach say that she had went through so much tragedy and she decided something's got to give. Something, something yeah. has to give. So shout out to Coach D. I listen to you, girl. I hear you. Uh, real loud, real loud. I like what you said. Um, as my grandma would say, you was talking real good, girl. I like that. She sure so, was. Uh, yeah, y'all bring her back on. Um, you know, you said you would bring her back another. Oh, <laughs> we lost Big Mama. We lost her. <laughs> I tell you what. Um, yeah, okay. So Big Mama had a lot. I kind of got lost because went from Dak and Cam and oh, there she go. You back? Sure, that does. Girl, it's the internet guys. They don't be liking me. They, they know Big Mama got something to say. <laughs> Kwashka, I saw you with your directorship. Shout out to you, girl. Thank you, Big Mama. Oh, were you on mute, boo? Yes, ma'am. <laughs> yeah, all right. Uh, well, well, hey, all let right. me hear about the Nutriverse. All right, you ladies, go on. I know you got another guest. Y'all got any questions for me? Mm -mm. No, Big None. Mama, you said it all. That was good. That was yeah. good. It was heartfelt. That was really good. Yeah. yeah. Roger, hush <laughs> your mouth. Okay. All right. And you All heard right, that ladies. from Big Mama right here on Ken. Yeah, Week Big Mama. Sports. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. All right. Y'all have a good night. All right. Have a I'm good out. night. All right. So now we get ready to shift to our next guest, a soccer coach. So we listen, y'all, we didn't have football. We didn't have basketball. But we got a soccer coach. And yeah. before we bring him on, we're just going to play a few minutes of his testimony. Because so Karen sent me the link to his testimony. I was sending it out to all the athletes. I was texting them. You need to watch this. You need to watch this. It was so good. It was yeah. like, wow. So I cannot wait to bring him on. So can we watch the video? And we'll bring on Coach Rod after this. Uh, grew up in Atlanta, Georgia. Um, 
been sort of all over the country uh, playing soccer and coaching soccer. And uh, I started my professional career playing uh, right out of college. Played in Albuquerque uh, for a few years, and then I went down to New Orleans and played in New Orleans for a year. Went back to Albuquerque uh, and uh, played a bit there, and then got into my coaching career in Albuquerque. So I played about six years professionally overall. Growing up in the South, um, you know, church is a every Sunday thing is church and after church there's lunch. I sang in the choir, I was a greeter, I, I did the youth group, all those things growing up through uh, my elementary age years and I, I knew the Lord but at the same time soccer was becoming a very big part of my life and I was always one of the best players on any team so it just became taking more time and when I got to high school is when I started to see the shift I sort of see the shift in my life where soccer was taking more and more time, church was getting less and less, so it became now, okay, I've got time for church, I'll do it. You know, the day I walked into college, I was a star. I wasn't needing God because my life was easy. My daughter was born about 18 years ago. I decided I, I just can't keep this life of God in the box, my life over here, God in the box, my life over here. So I started doing all the right things, putting myself in church more, getting involved in church more, Stopping the stopping all the party life, the athletic life, stopping all that stuff, but there's still no relationship. And then it, then I got into the coaching of it, and now the pressure of coaching of no longer it's just you as a player being looked at as okay, worry about yourself. Now I got to worry about these other 20, 25, 30 guys on the team. At times I don't know how to handle it because I had God in the box. But now I started to say, okay, what more can I do to really have God part of my life? But through all this. My life really never changed in a sense that soccer was good, so God just stayed away. I knew God, but I didn't have the relationship. And then about 10 years ago, I really hit rock bottom. My relationship with my wife had fallen apart. She basically walked in one day and said, I want you to leave. I mean, I lost everything. Literally, whatever I can pack in my Nissan Sentra and my daughter, and we, we left. And I, a couple ladies, elderly ladies at the church said, hey, we got a room for you for $175 a month. And this is from a guy who was making six figures at a time. I was out of soccer. I was working at Walmart in the garden department making minimum wage. Soccer was my life. Soccer was, soccer was my identity. Soccer was what I was about. I mean, people knew me as Rod the soccer player, Rod the soccer coach. So for me to go from that to Someone telling me what to do, go move that plant, go load this person's car. That was, humbling's not the word, I was flat out embarrassed. I just, I just put myself in the Bible, I started to pray, I started to figure out who God really was. Really looking, looking at an account of my life and really started with my pocketbook. This is all I'm making, you know, this is all I'm making, I'm going to give 10%. If it means I'm poor and don't have food, then I'm poor and I don't have food, but I'm going to give my best that I can give to God. I was no longer trying to do it in my strength, but in God's strength. And then I got an offer to get back into soccer. A friend of mine was starting a soccer club, and he wanted me to come in and, and be a coach on the coaching staff and eventually move into a director's role with the club. So fast forwarding, in my coaching, doing well in the coaching, moving up the ranks again, uh, I got an opportunity to come to Portland to coach with the Portland Timbers. Two years into the Timbers, I get this job offer to go to Cleveland, Cleveland, Ohio, to be the head coach of a USL team. I got to do this, but I had no idea what I was getting into. The team was terrible. We were terrible. I mean, flat out, we were the worst team in the league. But the thing that took me there was the team was owned by missionaries. And I'm like, wow, 
We had something called Pro Soccer Ministries, where our major focus was to prepare soccer players for the ministry and basically to become missionaries. And we had Muslim guys in our team converting to Christianity. So I, I do this for I do this for nine months for one season, and it changed my life. I was going to use soccer to spread the gospel. Team only lasts a year. The team, the missionaries just couldn't continue to fund it. They had funded it for a few years. They couldn't fund it. Team fold out of a coaching job, come back to Portland, uh, get a chance to go to Trinidad and Tobago to be a head coach in Trinidad and Tobago. Now, this is a unique experience because everybody professes God in Trinidad. Everybody knows God, but they don't know Jesus. So I'm, I'm out there sharing my faith like crazy and people are like, well, this guy's kind of nuts here because I didn't really understand the dynamic of the country. Don't even make it through the season. I get fired. So back to Portland. And I'm like, God, you know, where, where is all this going? Coming back, coming to East Hill, MTI, MTI starting. I'm like, that sounds, that sounds interesting to me. I do MTI. Sounds cool. And I'm, I'm, but I talked to David Control, who runs it. I says, David, you know, I don't know I'm going to be here. I'm waiting on a contract to go to Thailand, go to Asia, and I'm probably going to go to Asia. He goes, you're going to be here. I'm like, I've known the guy like, you know, a few hours. And he's like, you're going to be here. I go through the class, and it's life-altering. It's life-altering. And during this time, I, it comes to the point where it's, I have no choice but to take my soccer to touch the world, use the platform of soccer, to take the word around the world. That's my mission in life. That's all that I want to do. But what I had to get over was is that I didn't realize how of a controlling person that I was, and that affected me. That affected me really giving my life over to the Lord. I've come to the place in my life now that I know that I am the poorest man in the world, but the richest man in the world because I've let my controlling aspects of my life go and let God take control of my life. Ooh. Bring him on. Let's bring Coach God to the show. Welcome to the show, Coach. Is he there? Did we lose him? Coach. Welcome. Well, welcome to the show, Coach. That that's uh, man, we should have had you individually. You have a show by yourself, and Coach, do you ever? Because this is, I didn't know, I didn't know. Man, wow. yes. um, let's let's jump right in. It's um, I I there's so much to your your testimony, right? Because listening to it, it it you can't help but to think about yourself kind of, because you grew up in church, as a lot of people have, right? Um, we did the routine of going to church. Sunday, Wednesday, Sunday, in the choir, in the youth, we did the routine. But there was no relationship. And it was until you were in a place of soccer and your routine that you said a shift happened. And when that shift happened, you realized, wait a minute. And then when you went back to your routine, you realized, I don't have a relationship. I just been doing a routine. Does that make sense? Yeah. That, that, yeah, I mean, that stood out to me. Go ahead. Yeah. I mean, it's just, it is, I mean, it, it, 
actually hearing that, I haven't I haven't seen that in a long time, right? And hearing that, it's like, okay, my mind starts to go through the process of going through all that. And, um, you know, in all that, it's just like, there's nothing that matters. It, I talk, I talk very straight. When I say nothing, it doesn't matter. It does matter, but it doesn't matter because nothing matters but God. Nothing matters but God. Anything you want to talk about, anything you want to do, if if God's not first, if God's not second, and everything else is someone else, it's it's for nothing. That is that is what that's the place that I've really tried to get to, and that's the place that is so vital. I mean. Look, I'm like every other coach, right? I want to win everything. I want to coach the best players. I want to be the best, but not at the expense of my relationship with God. And I've always told myself at this point, I'll walk away from anything if it tries to touch my relationship with God. That's the place that I am. doesn't matter. I could be coaching any team. I could be coaching an MLS team, looking at the championship trophy. But if it's changing my relationship, I'm not interested. Wow. That right there. Oh, man, I, I got to give you the snaps on that one. <laughs> no, that is so powerful because um, the sports is a vehicle. Okay, it's 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 a vehicle, but for you to do what God's called you to do. And so if we can help others understand that, and get it to a place of a relationship because think about it in, in, in a marriage, you know, you're, you're very protective. It's your relationship. You want to get to know each other and, and you're, you're not going to let nothing or no one come in between it. Well, what if we had that same act, like you said, with God, like, no, I'm not going to let this sport, this, it's not even just sports, this job, you know what I'm saying? Opportunities, money. I can't let it come between my relationship with God, because in the end, it's not going to save you. In the end, it's it's not going to bring you back. If something happened to you, I'm sorry, your job can't raise you from the dead. Your job can't help you. Your job can't, can't put no money. You, nothing. They can't do nothing for you but God. So I love that. That I, I, I do. Go ahead, Karen. I want to go back because I think you told me your age when we were in the green room, and I'm I'm around that age too. And uh, growing up, I didn't see soccer. I'm like, how did you even get into soccer? I mean, being a <laughs> black man in the United States, usually soccer comes from people in another country. How did you get into soccer versus basketball and football? How did that, how'd you get that love for soccer? Well, it, it, my story, I had an interview just a couple of days ago and someone asked that same question. And uh, it was it was basically my neighbor next door. We moved from I was born in New Orleans, lived all of my life in New uh, not all my life, but I was born in New Orleans. My mom and dad are from a little town in Mississippi, uh, and my dad got a job in Atlanta, and we moved to Atlanta. And my neighbor, his dad was an American football coach, so he decided he was going to put. So we. Um, I see, I want to play, Dad. I want to play. So at that time, you had to uh, you had to wear a certain amount. And I was a little guy, so I didn't weigh enough. The very next day I walk into school, um, my dad, um, there's a sign up on the there's a sign up at the school saying, um, 
that uh, there's a soccer team starting. So I, I joined the soccer team and even make it even crazier than that, my mom was my coach. And she was the, she was the first, she was my first coach. And the moment I touched the ball, I knew this was all I would ever do. I knew that this was the thing I would do. And I just loved it from the very beginning. But also it was, it was a, through my life, right? Through my life growing up, I was a really, really, I mean, like really shy kid. And soccer really opened that up. I mean, I could go all day at school and not talk to anybody, but because I was getting good at soccer, we'd play on the playground and we'd play kickball and everyone, everybody wanted me on their team because I could kick the ball. And um, then it just really started to change because I was having a hard time learning, right? And as things went on, um, I got diagnosed with dyslexia. So um, soccer was something that really helped me through that difficult period of time of, of accepting the fact that, yeah, it's always going to be hard learning. It's always going to be hard um, doing things. And so it, uh, but yeah, I mean, it's just, I just love it. I mean, it's something I've always done and I don't see myself not doing anything, doing it at all ever. Wow. So in your testimony, you said you have a daughter. Did she, did she play soccer? Yes. Oh, so dad was well, the I have four kids now. Oh yeah. Four. That testimony. So oh, four okay. Four. So, so uh, did all yeah, of them my, play soccer? My His, my oldest is 27, and that's my daughter. Uh, and she played a little bit, not much, not too much, because I've always taken the, I've always taken the, the stance that if you want to play a sport, you have to really like show me you want to play, not because I'm going to coach you, but because you want it as a thing that you want to do. And I have a 13-year-old boy who, not interested one little bit. And then I have twins that are eight years old, a boy and a girl. Um, and the boy that's eight, he wants to play. And I'm excited about that one at least. And I taught her his twin. She's like, he doesn't like to sweat. So that's out of the question. <laughs> <laughs> so now, um, so are you still coaching? You're still coaching? Yeah, I coach. Uh, I, I live up in uh, Seattle, Tacoma area. Um, have a nice little place with like seven acre ranch out here. So it's pretty nice. Uh, and we're kind of away from all the COVID stuff because we're out in the country. But uh, it's, uh, I coach at a youth club, but I also have a, a consulting business where I go around the world um, and I help professional clubs set up their structure. So meaning teach coaches how to coach, teach players how to play, uh, help them with their business side of things, help them design all those things. Um, so that's what I do. And also help, uh, I, I'm involved in a business called iSoccer Path, which helps players get, find soccer scholarships to get into college. So I do all those things. Um, but I've had opportunities to get back in the pro game and that's really where I do my best work and not because that's where I'm the best coach, but because I can connect with lives on a different level. You know, you take the parent aspect out of youth sports and I can talk to these guys one-on-one, -on -one, man to man and, holding back right? right and so i that's that's to me so to really and you know go when my last coaching job was in jamaica in Bay. Um, and there um my first week i led one guy one player to the lord i mean because i saw him and this is what we're going to do and hey you know and because i just don't if 
I don't give players the opportunity to do more than I've ever gained, but they got to have God first so they can even attempt to do that. Then I'm not doing my job. Forget about the field. I'm not doing my job as a, as a God follower. I like that. Yeah. Now I was reading something about um, relational re uh, leadership that you think uh, one of the aspect of coaching is relational coaching. Can you tell us about that? Did you hear me? Coach Rod, I read about relational um, leadership, relational coaching. That's some uh, one of those topics that you uh, kind of live by. Can you tell us about that? Yeah, I mean, what I have uh, what I have found out, right, is players, right? And this is from experience because I played I played professionally for about six years. So um, what I have found out is that I can teach a player anything. I can teach a player anything. I can give them any information, anything whatsoever. But if they don't know I care, if they don't know that they can call me at two o'clock in the morning and their wife's going to labor and I'll be over there to babysit their kids, then they're only they're not they're not getting to the hundred percent of themselves. And that's my goal. Everyone's different. Can they get to the hundred percent of themselves? But just like Coach D said, you know, we don't focus on mental health. We don't focus on relationships and coaching. We talk about relationships. We talk about family. We talk about all these things. But no one really is vulnerable. The coach is not vulnerable. The players aren't vulnerable. They're not willing to say, the coach is not willing to say, you know, I don't have the answer. I don't know. Show me the way. And when you can, right. when you can say, hey, here I am. This is what I am. You have a better chance of having success. Wow. That's so true. Go ahead, Kwasika. Yes, sir. So basically, you just saying build relationships, build relationship between, you know, the athlete and the coach. They need to have that relationship, not just, you know, performance. It's, all, it's not always about performance. Is that what you're saying? Relational? Build the relationship between the coach and the athlete. Have a relationship. Can you can you hear me? Yeah, it's just a delay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, you have to. I mean, and, and don't get me wrong. It's it's, it's hard. Yeah, it's um, it's it's a very fine line, right? Because if you build relationship with players, and if you build relationship with immature players or players that have an agenda, mm -hmm. sometimes they take that relationship is that you're going to play favorites, gotcha. and then when you yeah. then when you don't play them. If when then you don't play them like they think they should because of the relationship, they have a problem. Yes. So you have to be really careful. You have to be really careful. But for me, it's worth the risk because I'd rather a player 10 years down the road still have my phone number and call me for and have a chat because they wanna they need some help or they just wanna share, they just wanna stay connected. That's more important. That's more important than saying having all these trophies, right? But hey, don't get me wrong, trophies create money. Trophies create platforms. Trophy create more opportunities. I'm not saying that's not important. Right. But right. what I am saying is, what is the long term effect? What is the long term effect? And that's really more important. Right. 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 Now let's go back real quick because with your testimony, uh, and it, it it really touched my heart because at the beginning 
we, you know, we talk about the routine and we're going to church all the time. We was taught because our parents told us, I mean, you know, they, they was teaching us, you know, go to church, but we never had that relationship. So fast forward, you know, you in soccer and you start loving soccer more than God because you never did have that relationship with him, period. You just doing a routine. So you had to fall and meet him at the bottom and, and get that, you know, and create that relationship with him. And to realize that soccer, the gift that he gave you, the talent was from him. And I need you to use that for me. Give me the glory so you could bring more souls. So, so your testimony was really powerful because that's what he does with a lot of us. He give us something. He give us a gift. He give us a talent. You know, we may forget about him because we really didn't know him. Mm. But that seed that was sown in you, remember that it still it'll come back. Cause see, some people like they don't have that seed sown. So the the, the the first part of your journey was part that was meant. The routine, Monday, Wednesday, yeah. But coming forward, you know what I'm saying. When we talk about these student athletes in the vehicle of sports and you know all of that, it's it's a gift. It's a talent that is given by God. And here's the thing: you got they got to know Him though. They know that He gave it to them, so they can use it for His purpose. And that's what's missing. So now you come back, get back on your feet. Now you got a ministry along with what He gave you. So you can go reach others in soccer or in basketball or in whatever. See, that's the whole key to use yeah. that vehicle that he gave you, that he's given a purpose. And so the athletes, what I'm, 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 I'm guessing now, are coming to conclusion that the mental part, because they don't know who to call out to. We keep talking about mental illness because they don't know who to call out to. Who are who who who? I can't I can't. Go to the coaches. I can't go to my mom. I can't go to my daddy. Oh, they can't fix it. We can't fix everything. Parents can't fix everything. That's coaches right. can't fix everything. It is him, Jesus. I'm glad you said that because a lot of people talking about God. Yeah, but they don't talk about Jesus. Jesus. Right. Jesus. Yeah. And it's, it's and, and I'm just coming. I I'm just coming to learn that too as well. Right. God. 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 But you're not recognizing Jesus. Who he is. Mm -hmm. And that's what we're missing. Right. So when we teach our children about Jesus, when we teach them, teach them about don't leave yeah. that part out. Right. Then they won't have so much. We're gonna go through life, we're gonna go through obstacles, but they'll know who I can call on. Right. So I just want to share that because I'm I'm listening. And I, you know, I love testimonies. <laughs> I love testimonies because it just blessed me on today. Yeah. You know, build yeah. relationships, build relationships and don't let anything come between you and God because you can have this sports. You could be wonderful. You could be talented in this sports. And now you got this big head and you forgot about who gave you that. Right. Who gave you that. It's just like I mm -hmm. gave you something and you forgot. You don't appreciate. Thank you. You don't appreciate what I gave you. No, we need to step back. You <laughs> forgot who I am. I am that I am. Right. I am. <laughs> All right. So we're going to take up an offering for Preacher Kawasaki. <laughs> right. She, she had the sermon today. 
<laughs> no, but you know what's so funny? I heard, I heard today. Um, I um, I was watching a video, and it was a pastor and he a prophet, and he was talking about 2020. It was when he said he was talking about the word that God gave him for 2020, and he gave it in December. And so I, a pastor showed it today. It was when he said God said he was going to deal with the sports arena, and he said because they have put they are. They are idolizing sport. Now, this is before all the, the pandemic and everything happened. Mm-hmm. And he said, because Sunday is their worship. They worship sports more on Sunday than they do me. And when he said that, I just said, Ooh. and now he said this in December before January. I'm sitting there like, whoa, because well, he, he is a jealous guy. He was saying because the world is worshiping, being idolizing these athletes and, 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 you know, come on, let's be real. Cause you know, some of them pastors will preach their sermon in 30 minutes because the game is on and they got to hurry up and get home because I've heard it and seen it. We all, and right. people like, I got to get home because, you know, the Cowboys is playing, you know, Atlanta and, or whatever. And everybody is Sunday night football. Right. So everybody's got a party or especially Super Bowl. So right. yeah, when he said that, I said, Wow. Because right. I had never heard that prophecy until the pastor showed it. So um, she, she's right. It's a relationship. It's like God God gave us all a gift. Right. Yeah. And now, anything, anything you put before God is out of order. Anything. It doesn't matter. You could be a chef and you could put cooking before God. Yeah, you know what I'm saying? Exactly. You could be a hairstylist and put doing hair before yeah. God. It doesn't matter what it is. You have to right. understand where you where you got that gift from. And I and one thing I love, Coach, and I want you to hit on that. You said, um, and I and I te- me and my husband teach this to our sons. You said, I could be broke or hungry, but I'm gonna give my 10. What brought you to that conclusion? I mean, you know, growing up in church, you hear that all the time, right? But what really brought me to that conclusion was that really nothing that I have is mine. So we've all heard this before. God is saying, God is saying, hey, just give me 10 and you can have the other 90. And I realized that I was stealing from God. That's what it comes down to. We don't want to, we need to talk straight, right? And that talking straight is when you're not tithing, you're stealing from God because he's He's already letting you borrow the money. Um, so, and I just felt like I needed that to show that nothing, because in sport, again, right, you make money, you make a lot of money sometimes and, and you feel like it's all yours. And when you don't, give it right then it's it, it becomes a it can become a problem so i decided to, to be free and say that oh you know even if god say i need more it's more he for me it was like just no limit and that's just something that really put me on on the walk that i am on today was really making that commitment to do that wow that's wow. good Amen. i saw something uh in your art on your bio said you co-authored a book called Understanding Soccer. Can you tell us about that? Yes. Yeah, that was done uh, a long, long time ago. I was actually still playing at the time. And um, it was like, I think it was 93. So a long time, long time ago, 1993. It was right before the US held 
World Cup in, in 1994. And that's when really very few people knew about soccer. So what we did was is we wrote the book uh, and we talked about the rules of the game, what the referee would do, the different things, goal kicks, corner kicks, all the different basic things that when people will watch the game, um, they would be able to, um, to go back and look and see and have some understanding of the game. And so that's really why the book was, that's why the book was written. And it was just a real simple book. It was to really help people watch the game during the World Cup. Now, uh, I know soccer is bouncing that ball off your head. Does it hurt to bounce the ball off your head? If you do it wrong, if you do it wrong, it hurts. You got to hit it right in the middle of the forehead. If you don't, uh, yeah, you have some problems. Mm -mm. Wait, that's a great to do. Hit, hit the ball. It's a right mm -mm. way. <laughs> so listen, Coach, I play soccer, right? I, I, okay, I played all the sports in school. I like soccer. Yeah. Till the girl kicked me in the shin. <laughs> I said, I was, I ain't going to lie, y'all. I was about to beat up. <laughs> it was like your cleat missed the ball. It was like it felt like her cleat just 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 decided to just climb on down my shin. It was just it seemed like it was in slow motion. <laughs> the 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 sting, the the throbbing. I said I'm done, and I never went back. Now I have my I have twins too, and <laughs> Christian literally okay. taught himself. When I say this boy can do the tricks, the flip, the ball come up from behind him, I'm and I'm going, where did you get that from? Because his dad didn't play soccer. I was young when I played, and I mean, he's natural. So how do I, because he plays all the sports, but I know he loves soccer. So how do I cultivate that with him? Because I never, I mean, I, like I said, I was young when I played, and I never looked at it again. So him, he well, just, I, go ahead. I, I think the thing is, right, because there's, a, I mean, and that's something I, I'm actually going to have a, this, I mean, with everything going on in the world today, I'm actually going to have a, on Wednesday, I'm speaking with uh, some, some soccer people uh, to talk about the lack of representation of, of blacks in the game and, and, and at leadership levels too, right? And okay. coaches, executives. So we, you know, it's good. we're having that conversation with uh, on, on Wednesday with some people. But I think the biggest thing is, right, just get him around the game, let him be around people that like the game and enjoy the game. And, um, because it's soccer. So it's one of the most unbelievable sports there is in the sense of, if you've ever been to a country and see, you know, I've been to numerous countries, Brazil, Europe. And, and the thing is, it's like you live in a town, right? You live in whatever town you live in. And you have to support that team, right? That team. If you support that team, you're probably going to leave. You're probably going to have to move away because people are going to run you out of town. That's the passion that the game has. It has such an unbelievable reach. There, there's been... There's been times in the world where there's been wars, right? And there's been civil wars in countries, and the national team is going to play a game. They're going to play against another country. The war stops. That's the power of this game. And wow. really what, um, what I would say is 
Find find him a team that can do it. Find him a team that he really wants to that he really wants to play. Find get him around other players that he wants to be competitive with, and and that's going to nurture it, right? Because my thing as a as a professional coach is, you can talk the coach. I can talk all the time how good I am, right? And I play the game, but I get to all this great coach. But players have to make plays. Players have to, players win the game. No matter coach, shut up. Players win the game. That's just the way. That's yeah, just the, that's the reality of sport. Right. Yeah. And so he just needs to be around other players that really want to be better because the last thing any player of any sport wants to do is, um, is to be around players that are driven, that aren't really looking for the things they're looking for. Now do soccer players, do they make more money than football players? Outside of the country. I mean, outside of the country, I mean, the, the two most, the three, the three most highest played athletes in the world is Roger Federer, uh, Messi, who's an Argentinian that plays for Barcelona, and Cristiano Ronaldo, who plays for Real Madrid. Wait, what was and, the uh, second Real- one you said? Messi? Was was his name? Messi, yes. Oh Messi, my God, that is yeah. my son's favorite. He goes, "Mom, I'm going to Barcelona." Okay, so he's he was 12 when he <laughs> told me this. I looked at him. I said, "Wait, what? What did you just say?" He goes, "I'm trying to tell you now. I'm going to play <laughs> soccer in Barcelona." I said, "Oh Lord, help." But that's seriously, Christian told me, he goes, I'm going to play soccer in Barcelona, mom. Messi is, that's my guy. I was like, okay, I don't even know who you're talking about, but okay. Wow. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. You know what's, now the workout is a lot, you're constantly, the cardio has to be immaculate. Am I correct? Because you're, even though in basketball, you're running back and forth, but soccer you're literally like football. You run a play. You got a few minutes to breathe, right? Soccer is just a constant right. running. So you're you're not training more weight wise. You're training more cardio wise. Is that correct? Yeah, it's a it's a it's a unique sport because uh, on average at the professional level, on average a midfield player. So that's they run about 10 miles per game on average. Um, so there's there's a tremendous amount of running. But depending on the position, position on the on the position that you play, you need to be a little bit stronger, right? You need to be a little bit so the, the weights become more important. Uh, so soccer is really unique to train because if you play in what we call a wing position, a wide position, you gotta be fast, you don't have to be that strong, but you gotta be quick and agile. You play more in the middle of the field, you gotta be taller, you gotta be more, more, more upper body strength that you can um, that you can fight off the other players. So it's really it's a comb- it's a combination, but most of it's running. But I mean, it's it's running for the most part. Now, do they actually have a draft for soccer players? Do they have a draft like they have an NFL draft for the basketball? Yeah, for MLS they do. They have a college draft. Um, that takes place January, February for the U.S. But everywhere else in the world, it's so different because everywhere else in the world, they don't have a draft. So give me an idea what happens um, outside of the world. Let's say, let's say, let's take Shannon's son, right? Let's say he's living in Spain, right? Mm-hmm. And a, a club, a, 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 a team wants him. They would say, come to my team, but he's already with the team. So they actually, it's players around the world like, it's like, this, it's like commodities, right? So the club might say, okay, we want you. So in order for this other club 
to get your son, they got to pay the club X number of dollars just to wow. say, okay, he can go to that club. So they might pay the club $10 million, right? Just to have that player come. And then the player has to negotiate personal terms. So then the length of contract agent, the agent and the player will then deal with the club, the new club, the, the terms of the contract, you know, length, amount, everything. So it's really, I mean, give me an idea. A player getting traded, traded but transfer, we call it transferred outside of the US, it might be two hundred million that it would cost one player just to go to the other club. So now there are there contracts that are like baseball contracts are more solid than football contracts. Is the same way with soccer? Yeah, they're 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 better than football contracts for sure. Uh, they are. You get guarantees, right? You you get you get guarantees. You get you get a guaranteed contract. So basically, if you sign a three year contract, you you have a choice, right? You're you can't do anything in that three years. If the club decides they want to. The club decides they want you to go. They can either pay you out. You can negotiate a buyout. Or a new club could come and say, we want the player, so we're going to pay you this, and then they negotiate with the player. So it's a lot more um, it's a lot more stable from that perspective. In the U.S., it's not quite there because the sport is not in soccer. It's not quite at that. It's not at that level, right? Because in England, for instance, the high top league in England, you know, guys make a hundred thousand, two hundred thousand dollars a week. You know, so wait, just, uh, wait, no, wait, stop. <clears throat> Yeah. A week? Wait, did you say a week? Yes. Dang it, I should have stood the soccer. Shannon, what was you thinking? I wish somebody would have told me back then. Wait, wait, did you did you say a hundred thousand a week? Sometimes them games being the winner, it'd be cold. I'd be like, oh yeah. no, I can't be out there at the parents support that. What's the football's in the winter? Yeah, no, no, football kind of stopped before and when we in the win. I mean no, and not for high school. I'm talking about high school. I ain't talking about professional. Oh, I thought you were talking about professional. I'm like, nah, they'd be over there freezing over there in New England. They'd be all out. The, mm -mm. But yeah. he oh, said yeah. 100000 a week? Yeah. Wow. Now, do they allow uh, high school players to go pro or do they have to go through college first for soccer? And, no, I no idea. The youngest player... They're, they're players that are playing in MLS that are teenagers that are 16, 17, 18. So the youngest players that have been signed in the in the U.S. have been about 14, 14 years old. Wait, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, hold on, And typically, a lot of those contracts. You said 14? You said 14? Oh, when I get off, I'm about to go get Christian ready. Listen, y'all, he going he going to Barcelona up and all of this stuff. You know, a 14 year old with with a man. I mean, how was that? How would they? Isn't that off balance or something for soccer? Well, it's it it's um it's different, right? Because like in a professional club, right? So in a professional club, unlike you see Dallas, all Dallas has is the Dallas Cowboys, right? They have no other team. Um, so in a club, right, you have your professional team, so you have your your big team, and then you have your reserve team, and then you have a team that's filled with U19 players, players that are U18, yeah. all the way down to say U21, 
12, right? So they have a whole club, right? So let's say they see a player that is very, very good, and they know the other clubs are going to want that player. They try to get the player signed to a contract because, again, as I said before, it's like, it's like, it's like they're like commodities. So they might say, yeah, this kid's going to be really, really, really good, and he might stay for three or four years. But then they might see that this player can make them more money. They can get three or four players for that player. So they might spend all the training, you know, and even, and even if a player and like in, in Europe, especially have what they call uh, training compensation. So let's say a club has a 13, 14 year old who's been in their club for two or three years. Even though that club doesn't sign a professional contract and he goes to another club, they have to pay that club training compensations because that's the money they invested into that player. So give me an idea when I was working at a professional club in Sacramento and I was running the academy, we basically said it's going to cost X number of dollars to train every single player. So we were on about $25,000 a year per player that we were putting into the player in order for them to be trained. Yeah. So it's, it, it's, it's, a, it's a big market. It's a big, it's a big deal. I think baseball's similar, if I'm not mistaken, because you can go out of high school yeah. into sure. the professional. I think football is the only one that you can't because it's such a contact sport. And so, I mean, if you, you're, you're, yeah, taking, yeah. A, you're taking a kid who is small, you know, and so college kind of prepares them. I think that's the only one because basketball, you can go from high school to professional. But yeah. I think, yeah, I think football is the only one, Karen. So I think I need to go ahead and get my son ready, y'all. So he can get a contract. <laughs> he got one. He's 13. He got one year. We need to go ahead and get that contract. What you think? <laughs> So, man, I tell you what, Coach, this has really been a good interview. We got to bring you back because there's still yeah. so much more. I really yeah, want so many questions. Yeah. So many questions because I think it's so important that we still talk about the relationship because right now the situation we're in with the COVID, everybody is having a reality check about the relationship with God. I, from coaches to athletes to businessmen to biz every every career, everybody is having a question of okay, where's my relationship? with God because they realize the thing that they have put before God is now crumbling. You've got yeah, people exactly. who've been on jobs 10, 20, 10 to, to 15 years have lost their jobs. They're in an unemployment line. Um, I, I was talking to my sister who's a film director in LA and we were talking about um, um, actors. And so we were talking about actors are now filing unemployment. And I was like, wait, what? And she goes, they're unemployed too. And I never thought wow. of it like that because she goes, as long as you can't make a movie, you're considered unemployed. It's your job. And so um, when Coach D was talking about Erica Badu, she was telling people, she's like, I'm not working because I, I saw that that um, what she did with Jill Scott. And she says, I don't I'm not working. I'm unemployed. So I was like, wait, what? She goes, you know, she kept on going. She goes, we get paid by touring. I never really, because you think you're an artist in music, and she was like, I could go make a song, but if I can't tour, I'm not working. So that's the same thing with actors. If they're not making movies, they're not working. So everybody is having to have a reality check right now from sports on down. So Yeah, because they say yeah. it was in their mind. Yeah, because their faith was in their money, their job, and their career. Absolutely. And, and so now they're going, what do one, I do? Yeah. Yeah. 
Uh, right, so. right. But the, yeah. I mean, here's the thing too. Before we go, we are living in the end times, guys. Let's start re reading Revelation because I don't think a lot of people know that. It's hard to read, I think, but we're living, actually living in the end times. You really don't hear preachers talking about the end times. They never talk on the end times. So everybody's like, oh, this happening and oh, this happening. And, yeah. This has already been prophesied. Yeah. So you got an opportunity now to figure out what your relationship really is with God. They go for me too. So I'm not just preaching. Yeah. Uh, when this when this when this first happened, when this first happened, I, I posted something and I said, um, I said, are are we as a people gonna hear God? Are we an individual gonna he hear God? Because he is speaking. Right. Are we going to are we going to hear him? Not when he's talking to the group, when he's talking to me, when he's saying right. about you, because he's not talking to one. It's just like in Isaiah, it's like getting confused too. Like when Isaiah, when I when Isaiah said, Here I am, he wasn't talking specifically to Isaiah. God spoke in a small, still voice and said, Whoever. And Isaiah was in tune. He heard right, who's in tune. What, who what was what was in Isaiah's heart said, here I am. And that's what we got saying to speaking to all of us. But are we willing to hear? Who's who's listening? Who's 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 who is saying, here I am? You Why? know, who's, who is getting in a place of that I repent? I'm sorry. I you know, and, and for us and my family, it's actually drawn us closer. Um with my marriage, with my children, we pay more attention. You know, we've you put the phone down, you know, the other day we all went out to dinner. And I was like, everybody put their phone in the middle and they're all looking at me. And I said, like, the first person to pick up the phone, going to pay for this meal. So, you know, it's eight of us out eating. They all looking around <laughs> the table like mm, I ain't about to pick up that phone. So we had such a great conversation, you know. So I, I realized through this, we are learning to uh, here it is the relationship again. And that's the only, God wants to bless. I want to leave us with this. God wants to bless us all. It's in his word. But you want a relationship. If you're dating, you know what I mean? If 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 you're in a relationship and you're only there because you want something, that's not a relationship. That's a that's a situation shit about to happen. But if you're there because mm -hmm. you are really in tune with her or you are really in tune with him and you really want to get to know him, then the benefits that will come out of it, the love, the joy, the, the opportunities. It's going to happen. That's all God is saying. I just, I've got so much for you. I've got blessings for you. Yeah. It's in my word. I'm telling you, I'm going to bless you. I'm telling you, matter of fact, I told you, you were blessed. I told you, you were gifted. I, I've, I'm telling you, but in order to get what I have, I need a relationship. I need you to put a ring on it or I need to put the ring on you. That's what he tries to <laughs> What Beyonce say, you got to put a ring on it. So God's like, let me, let me. Let me build this relationship with you and I will give you access to all that I have. So yeah. that's kind of my take on it. But anyway, thank you, coach. Let everybody, can you let everybody know how to get in contact with you um, to find out more information and your seminar yeah. that's coming up? Yeah, you can reach me on my uh, website at rodunderwood.com. All the social media stuff. Cut inside is my uh, Twitter, and that's why I do most of the work in my my Facebook. Uh, yeah, so 
just reach out and um, thank you. For, it's been a been a pleasure. Really excited when you guys when, when Karen reached out. It's like this is like um, really cool. So I'm really glad. I'm really glad that this happened. Thank you. We're really glad you came. Thank you to yeah. all the followers that's been on there leaving comments. Thank you for following us. Ms. I want to also say thank, thank you. you. Thank you. Yes. Thank you, Miss Stacy and everyone else. And thank you to the ones that are in other countries watching us. Man, thank you. Me and Kwasika was talking about it the other day. Thank you so much for supporting us and watching us. And um, yeah, this was a good show. So have yeah. a great weekend. This is your girl, Shannon, at Can We Talk Sports. I am here with my host. Kawashika. And Karen. And we will be back next Tuesday with some more great um, guests. And yeah, so listen, if you want to be a guest on the show, hit us up at canwetalksports.com. Again, no, wait. Can we talk sports at gmail.com? I'm sorry. Oh, and she, and she's sitting up there going, yeah. yeah but see, they, they can go to the website too and still get to us. So, yeah. Yeah. So, listen, uh, if you want to be a guest, you got a story to share, whether you're a professional athlete, a coach, a mom, a dad, a psychiatrist, a psychologist, whatever it is, and you want to come join and sit on the show and talk with us, hit us up at can we talk sports at gmail.com. All right, we talk to you guys later. Bye. Good night. Good night. Good night. Good night.